It's uh, good to be with you again. Uh, we had a great night in the Wilderness Inn. It didn't feel much like a wilderness. It felt like a very comfortable place. And uh, so we really, uh, really enjoyed. So thank you for putting us up there. Uh, thinking of this little clip here, I guess uh, I have to say, like Solomon knew what to pray for, right? God directed him. And uh, I think that's often... Uh, probably the struggle in my life as far as what do you pray for? Knowing the right thing to pray for. And uh, God directed him to do that. We learned so much from the kids' stories, right? <laughs> Maybe we should just go home and eat lunch now. I don't know. Where's Dennis? Dennis wants to go eat already. Where is he? <laughs> oh, there he is. <laughs> oh, he's, he's not signing at the buzzer now, so okay, I'm safe. <laughs> he, was, he was warning me he'd press the buzzer. Okay, well, hey, just to uh, tell you a little bit about New Tribes' mission and what we do, I know you know a bit about New Tribes through David and Judy Wright, um, but uh, just give you a, a quick synopsis uh, of, of what we're involved in. Uh, internationally, there's about 30 different countries, 30 different nationalities involved in, in New Tribes, uh, missionaries from all over. We work in about 18 different countries, uh, planting churches. And uh, when it uh, comes to planting churches, there's language and culture learning involved, scripture translation involved. We, teach the, we put the, the people's language into writing, teach them to read and write their own language. Uh, we help with medical help. Uh, we do some com- community development with them, some helping them with economics and so on. Some of the people we work with are very self-sufficient and don't need that kind of help, but some do. And... Uh, so we do some of that. Over the years, we've engaged in over 300, in about 340 uh, language groups. And uh, presently, we're working in 259. And uh, so uh, we just were thankful for what the Lord has been able to do through New Tribes. 73 New Testament translations have been done, and there's 105 in progress right now, translations being done. Uh, approximately every 45 days, that's the average over the last number of years, every 45 days, a new language group is hearing the gospel. And uh, we're just praising God for that. And uh, there's roughly, you know, a bit over 2,000 language groups around the world that still need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so those are, that's our goal, that's our target. Uh, we're one of the missions of other missions that are working towards that goal of seeing every language group reached. And uh, so we just praise the Lord for what God has raised up in new tribes. Just a little bit, uh, just want to tell you about some uh, stuff on the table back there, tell you now. There's a couple of brochures that if, you're, if God is leading you to give, there's a couple of brochures that could direct you and guide you in that. Uh, there's a little uh, uh, pamphlet uh, or a little uh, note, whatever, to fill out. And if you do that, you can take one of the DVDs. And uh, by giving your contact information, you would just get some updates, prayer requests and that kind of thing from New Tribes Mission. So that's what your contact information would be used for. And, uh, but if you do that, you can take a DVD, and there's many clips on that DVD, all kinds of testimonies of, of new believers, stories of uh, groups being reached. So it's a worthwhile thing to pick up. And we have our prayer card out there, too. Help yourself to that. Uh, just tell you a little bit about ourselves. Annette and I both grew up in Steinbeck, Manitoba, and uh, the Lord called us into mission work. He guided and, and led us into missionary work. Uh, we worked in Durham. Uh, at the New Tribes Mission Training Center for over 20 years. And the last 10 years, we've been involved in uh, five of those years in missionary or member care and uh, representation. In the last five years, we've been involved in a leadership role. And uh, 
director of personnel. So I, I do some traveling and visiting our missionaries when they're home on furlough across Canada and that kind of thing. Uh, we have two children and uh, four grandchildren. Uh, our son uh, works in Durham. He works on the campus. And uh, so it's a delight to have him work right there. We see them on a regular basis. And just this fall, our daughter and son-in-law, with her new baby, entered the training program. And uh, they're looking to God to go overseas somewhere. They're not sure where. Uh, that's one of the hazards of being a missionary, is you raise your children in that lifestyle, and then they leave you, just like we left our parents. Annette and I were planning to go to Mexico. and um, uh, We were hoping to go in February of 1983 or 84. And uh, through circumstances, largely due to Annette's health, we weren't able to go to Mexico, and we ended up serving in Durham all these years. Uh, Being involved in training missionaries has been a delight. Uh, We now know hundreds of missionaries around the world doing church planting. Uh, A lot of them in support roles, like if you were here last night, a lot of missionaries doing a variety of support roles. But uh, I think about a year or two ago, we counted up how many people gone through a training program that were involved in actual church plants. And I think there was about 30 of them, if I remember right. Is that right, Annette? 34. And uh, so we're just blessed uh, to have been a part of so many lives that are, are doing that when we ourselves could not go overseas and do that. So it takes a team. And you're part of the team. You're part of supporting a, a church planter, uh, Dave and Judy. And uh, they're home right now, as you probably know, but uh, uh, still involved in the work out there in the Megan tribe, Megan people. Okay, so that's a little bit about new tribes. The message this morning is called a seeking father. And um, we're going to come back to that term in a little bit. But before we get to that exact term, you know, it's interesting when you, when you study scripture and you, you study the character of God, it's not too long and you find out that God is the initiator and man is the responder. That is something that comes out in, in many, many different passages in scripture. And I'm just going to touch on a few And then I'm going to talk about how does that translate in today? How does God seek people today? And then I'll show you a video, uh, the last 10 minutes, I'm going to show you a video of a man named Awail. And I'll explain that just before we get there. But that's what we want to do today. So God is the initiator. If you would, um, oh, we've got the slide up. There we go. Ah, man, you're right on it there, Corey. Way to go. God is the initiator. And uh, we see that right from the beginning, right? Adam and Eve sinned. They're hiding from God. And the scripture tells us that that God comes walking in the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God is the initiator. You know, if if God had had a wait for Adam and Eve to come to him, I, I don't know if that would have happened because what was their action? They hid from God. Once they realized they had sinned, and they disobeyed God, their immediate reaction was to do that. What do our kids do? I mean, you know, if they know they've disobeyed, and, and you know, it just gets quieter and quieter, and they kind of hide and try not to show you what they're doing. The mother said to me recently, when, when, when the child says, I want to go to the bathroom, but don't come in there, <laughs> you know there's trouble. <laughs> Something's going to happen there. It's not supposed to happen. That's just natural of man, because we have that sinful nature, and we want to hide that from God. We don't naturally walk into God's light. God is initiator, and God goes after us. 
and God seeks us. And I'm so glad that, that God did that with Adam and Eve way back there, that he initiated that contact with them. He's the one that wants to touch base with us. And jumping right from Genesis, if jumping all the way into the time of Jesus, if we would go to, uh, to John chapter 4, which is what was read this morning, um, and we see where, where Jesus talks to the, the woman at the well. And in the beginning of that passage, I, I like the way that King James says it. I, I don't have that. If you can go to the next slide. Um, it says, but the hour is coming. Okay, no worry. We've jumped to, I don't have that initial verse on there. I'll use the other one. Uh, but in the beginning of that passage, it says that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. I like that terminology. Uh, other translations say he has to go through or I have to go through Samaria. And when you see what happened as he walked through Samaria, you see why he had to do that. Because he knew this woman would be there at that well. And so Jesus goes over there and he, he spends some time. He sits at the well. The rest of the disciples go into town and he sits there. And uh, he knew this woman was coming and waited for her. And he begins this dialogue with her. And the woman is, was not seeking after God at that point. Jesus initiated the conversation. He started talking to her. He you know, asked for a drink of water. And here's, here's something we can learn from him, and that is when God is using us to seek out other people. Sometimes you can start a conversation with just normal conversation. Just ask a simple question. And by God's grace, you can lead it into a spiritual conversation. And that's what God did. He says, uh, could I have a drink of water? And he knew culturally that was inappropriate. You know, he jumped into something and caused a question, caused an issue with her. And said, why are you a Jew asking this of me? Why would you do that? Well, Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for, for living water for me. And he starts that conversation. The point being here, God is the initiator. Jesus took the, initiation, the, the initiative to do that. And then as he, he walks through there, he, he, as he keeps talking to her, and this was a scripture reading, in verse 23, it says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. There he actually uses that terminology. The Father is seeking such people. And was Jesus a father? No, Jesus was a son. So the Father is seeking people and in Genesis, it was God himself. Here he's using his son to seek people, to worship him. And uh, we know the story. And uh, she gets saved. And she goes into the building and says, can't believe this. This guy has told me everything that I've done. And we know it was a bad story, right? But she was, she was excited. God had revealed that. He, he knew about that. And he cared. In spite of the life she had lived, he cared and reached out to her. Let's jump to another passage in, um, in Luke 15. Uh, go to the next slide. Uh, there's, there's several uh, stories in Luke 15. And uh, in verses uh, 11, uh, no, the, the first one, the parable of the lost sheep is in the first few verses from uh, verse uh, 3 till, till uh, 7. And it talks about the lost sheep. But before we get to that story, I want to set the context here. In, in 15 verse 1, the, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. 
Now, okay, there's an interesting phrase right there, that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. There was something attractive about Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers of the day, the religious men, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They had a problem with the fact that Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners, with the people that were needy. They had a problem with that. And so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And there's so much in that passage there. He, he kind of just slaps the religious rulers in the face a bit by, by saying what he's saying. But he's making a point here that he is there for the needy. He's there for the sinner. He's there for the tax collectors. He's there for the people that, that are lost. And as he tells that story for that sheep that is out on a cliff, and, you know, the thing is, our, our nature, our general uh, nature in regards to that sheep is, you stupid idiot, you know, why did you go out there? Now I've got to risk my life to go out there and get you. <laughs> Isn't that kind of how we, how we sometimes treat people that, that go astray? You know, we get upset with them and, and we begin to distance ourselves from them. God, the initiator, wants to draw close to them. He wants to get close to them, close to them, because that's what they need. He will go out looking for that sheep. He will risk his life. He will look down the crevices. He will look over the cliffs. He'll, he'll look for him because God is that initiator. He's a seeking father. And then, of course, we have the, the next parable there about the lost coin. But the last one of that chapter, to illustrate his point, he tells a whole story of the prodigal son. And uh, I won't go into the whole story there because we know it well. But I want to Jump to verse 20, so you can go to the uh, next slide there. I love that picture. Uh, I love that picture that demonstrates part of that story. And in verse 20, it's, and this is talking about the father. We know how the son went astray, and, and finally he comes to himself and says, okay, I better go back. I'll just go to dad and say, hey, just hire me as a servant. I've wasted the, my part of the inheritance. Not worthy to be called your son. I'm going to come home to you. And... Um, Uh, So we pick it up in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. What a wonderful, wonderful passage. A father that is looking for his son. He is looking for him. And when he sees him, he comes towards him. Just, just an amazing picture of how God is. And sometimes when, when, when people walk away from God, they feel like, oh, I'm not worthy. I, I can't go back to him, just like the son did. But knowing the Father is there seeking for us, that he's looking for us, and, and he just goes right towards us and embraces us. While he was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion. That's our God. And that's why he seeks us. That's why he's initiator, because we, we are, he's compassionate for us. I understand uh, in your Sunday school, you're going through um, 
uh, focus on the family, the, the family project. We just did that in our church last year. And uh, it's so neat to, to understand that we have been created in the image of God and how that comes out in so many different aspects in the family. Just amazing truth. I really enjoyed that series. So God is a seeking father. He, he is demonstrated in so many ways. So the question is, how is that, what does that look like today? So we can look at these scriptural passages, and uh, they all look so good, and they're, um, you know, and of course that was back then, but what about today? Well, I, I want to tell you a bit of a story. We're going to show you a DVD in a few minutes, but I want to set, set it up. And again, it has to do with the Moi tribe in, P- in, in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I'm sorry, in the island of Pap- Papua, Indonesia. Sorry, I'm getting all confused here. Uh, it's the, uh, there's the island of Papua New Guinea where the rights work, but the other half of the island is in Indonesia. And this story takes place in that, in that island. They, they were a remote people group, and an MAF pilot was forced down low under the clouds one day and saw gardens and smoke or, you know, from fires or whatever and found there the people group. And he came to Tim Watley's door that night after that flight and said, I think I found a people group way back in that new tribes would probably like to contact. And they checked around. There was no record of this people group. But they, they made more flights. They found out they were there. It was a long day. I mean, 34 days, I think, he, they estimated to walk in there. Can't walk in that far. Uh, they, they went in with Heli Mission, which is a Swiss-based organization. And they flew in with helicopter. Now, the thing is, they didn't know what kind of people they were. They didn't know if they were cannibals, because a lot of tribal people in that area, in, in, inside, had, had been or were cannibal, cannibalistic. So they didn't know what they were facing when they were coming in. And so they're coming in with a helicopter, and I'm cutting this story short here, and and coming down into one of the gardens, uh, putting the helicopter in between the trees because they only had stone axes, and uh, they had a couple old, old axes that must have traded from the coal sometime, but they really had had no contact with outside except maybe years ago. The axes wore wore down right to the nub, and so they couldn't cut trees down. They just kind of delimbed them. And so the helicopter was coming through, you know, down between these trees, sticking up 100 feet in the air. And uh, they came close to the ground, and they couldn't get any closer. As they were going down to the ground, they saw these warriors. They saw these men with bow and arrows lining up in this clearing. The men and women ran out of the huts and hid in the, in the jungle. Uh, and they live in little hamlets. It's not a big village, just little hamlets, family hamlets. But, and, and they ran into the, into the jungle, but the men were there with bow and arrows. And the, the guys had been praying about this for a long time, of course, and wondering what would the reception be like, and seeing those guys with their bow and arrows there, they, were, they weren't too sure. Tim says that he was thinking as they would land, he would, he would just kind of open the door a bit and peek out, and if they started shooting, you know, get back in and let's go. He was praying the whole time, Lord, is there not another way? Is there not another way? But really, you see, there isn't, because God is using people to seek other people today. Just like the Father used Jesus the Son, God is using missionaries, he's using people like yourself to reach, seek lost people in this area. But God is using people to seek people. And so Tim was praying, Lord, is there not another way? And the answer is no, there was not another way. Well, they, they couldn't quite land on the ground because of the tree stumps, and they were about five feet from the ground, and the helicopter pilot said, guys, you'll have to jump. Have to jump. Well, there's no chance of just getting back in real quick if they start shooting. 
And uh, so just about that time, those 12 guys laid down their bow and arrows on the ground. And the guys jumped out, and they went out to greet them, and they have a particular greeting. They sort of snap knuckles. You stick out a finger like that in the middle one, and they, that's their greeting. And they, they did that, and so our guys were familiar with that, and they snapped knuckles, and the people started greeting him by using the word Abba. Abba, Abba, Abba. And of course, what does that mean for us, right? In Romans, talking about Abba, Father, using that, that Greek word. And so immediately, God just, just confirmed to these guys, guys, I got your back. You know, I got you protected. And, and he did. The word Abba is not actually a pleasant word at all, but it's what they use in greeting. Uh, so it didn't mean Abba, Father. But to them, it meant that. And later on, they asked them, as, you know, as they got... Uh, probably after they got saved or maybe a bit before, they asked them, guys, who, how, how did it happen that you all laid down your bow and arrows? Because as they observed the culture, they never laid down their bow and arrows on the ground. They never do. They always, they, like even now, he says, when they, when they go to church, the, there's the back of the church is all full of bow and arrows because they, they carry them all the time. They need them for hunting. And uh, so they carry them all the time. But they always stand them up against something, against a tree or against a house or against a wall or whatever. And at this time... They just laid them all down on the ground. And, and he said, did someone give a signal? Did someone do something? They said, we don't know why we did that. We just did it. And, and again, you can just see God's awesome power involved in that, right? Just making that contact available or making that happen without anybody getting killed, making it a friendly contact. But God using missionaries to seek his people. That's what God is still doing today. And, and that's why an organization like New Tribes Mission exists is because God is still using people to seek other people. So we'll, we'll play this video, and then I'll make a few closing comments. It's the story of a whale. He's a guy that did not accept the teaching the first time around. He accepted it the second time around. But he tells his story. I am Moi, like my father and my grandfather before me. Ancestors lived on this land. everything, what we eat, what we hunt, where we build our houses. The spirits watch us. We hear them in the wind. They control the night. They send centipedes like arrows to bite and kill us. They demand that we kill. My cousin committed adultery. 
The spirits were angry, so his wife's family killed him. Still, my family had to be compensated for his death. Her family tried to pay with shell money. It was not enough. satisfied the debt. A death for a death. This is the way we Moy people live. We make our gardens. We hunt. We build our houses. The spirits watch us. One day, a new voice in the wind terrified me. I ran to see what it was, and I hid. Strangers, men like me, or spirits here to eat us. My people invited the strangers to live among us. Years passed, and they learned to speak our language. They learned about our ways. Still, I wondered, are they men or spirits? The strangers shared the Creator's talk. A few Moy people listened. I did not. I overheard them say, the Creator is more powerful than all the spirits. I thought, this is lying talk. When some of the Moi people heard the Creator's talk, their hearts became different. At our feasts, they weren't afraid to break the spirit's rules. They hunted whatever they wanted. They weren't even afraid of eating taboo food. I told them, you will soon die for this. Death is small, they told me. The creator's talk is big. I thought, is this really lying talk? I didn't know. I wonder. 
wondered what the spirits would do. When the centipede bit me, I knew the spirits were angry. My family slashed me to get rid of the bad blood. But the sickness grew bigger and bigger. So they killed a pig, but still the spirits were not satisfied. I was dying. Then they came. The Moy who believed the Creator's talk came through the night with medicine. They came through the night to save me. Why weren't they afraid of the darkness? Why didn't they fear the spirits? Each day, for many months, I listened to the Creator's story. I saw my own sin. I was awestruck. The Creator's talk is powerful. Slowly, the truth began to dawn. People who do not know the Creator. People who have never heard that Jesus died for them. Who will tell them? Enactment, the helicopter landing was not as dramatic, but the story is dramatic. God was seeking the Moy people. Had somebody find them, had somebody go in there and share. So the question I just want to leave you is God initiating something in your heart? 
Is there somebody he is seeking through you? Perhaps someone close by. Perhaps someone far away. But that's up to God to make that clear to your heart. Thank you for the opportunity to share.